Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon at Fountain City Church. We hope that you are blessed by this message today. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out our website at fountaincity.org. All right, turn in your Bibles to Mark 8, verses 1 through 21. Uh, We're going to do something, if if you're new to our church, this is going to feel like we're just picking up in the middle of um, a gospel and kind of, I mean, we started this either last year or the year before. I can't remember. I was honestly trying. But 2020, right? Like, I don't know what happened last year, so we're just catching up. We started in the Gospel of Mark last year, and one of the things that we've been talking about um, as a church family, even at the beginning of this year, was how we want to be people who are rooted in the Scriptures. And this is incredibly important because right now it is very easy to look out and to see Jesus and the Gospel and the Bible being appropriated to mean whatever we want it to mean. Are you with me? It is very easy to simply take what we hear about Jesus or what we like about Jesus and add it to all the other things and kind of um, recruit Jesus for our newest movement. And in the midst of that, there is this moment in Judges where the angel of Bochim says, I'm not for you and I'm not for them. I'm doing my own thing. Come aboard. And Jesus actually wants to teach us what it means to be a part of his kingdom in the midst of everyone else trying to make Jesus a part of theirs. And it is incredibly important for us as people of God that we are rooted in the scriptures and that our lives and our spirituality is formed not by ideologies of the world, but by the kingdom of God and its king. And Jesus has a lot to say about who he is. And so we're going to dive into that. Mark chapter 8. This is where we stopped a year ago, year and a half ago, whenever that was. So we're picking up because we're very consistent. Um, Now, look, there's some major themes that happen in the Gospel of Mark. And as I'm talking to you today, I'm making some assumptions, okay? My assumption is that you have some grid for what it means to follow Jesus or some background, or that you are, in the very least, interested in following Jesus, or you're asking questions about what that means. And so this morning, I want to talk to you as people who are actively on that journey. You are in pursuit. You are following the Lord, because I believe one of the things Um, that is really important for us is that Jesus teaches us as disciples what it means to live on mission with him. Um, And some of you, man, I'm just looking through here. We've got Take the City and we've got Novo Fitness. We've got Matcha Garden. We've got entrepreneurs and families and all this stuff. And in the middle of that, Jesus actually has a mission and a purpose and identity for you and what you do. And he wants to teach us and lead us in the way that we are following him and what it means to be representatives of the kingdom. Um, Okay, enough prefacing. Let's dive in. Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 21. During those days, another large crowd gathered. And since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him, and he said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me for three days, and they have nothing to eat. And if I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have a long distance, have come a long distance. And his disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. And he told the crowd to sit down on the ground. And when he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. And they did so. And they had a few small fish as well. And he gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. And the people ate and were satisfied. 
Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 people were present. And after he had sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples, and he went to the region of Dalmanutha. Father, in the next couple minutes, I pray that you would just lead us by your spirit and that you would teach us your word, Father. Lord, you you said that uh, the teaching of the word, that gift set, Lord, that it was a part of us becoming mature and being equipped to works of service. And so, Father, I pray today that even through the teaching of this word, God, that we would be equipped and matured, Lord, that your word would confront us in our actual lives and that you would change and transform us by your spirit. We trust you and we rely on you today. Lord, even as I think about this room full of people and the faces that are here, I think about people that you have called to yourself and set apart to transform family systems and neighborhoods and cities and nations through their presence and through their love. Father, I pray today that you would help this word to seed that future. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, there's a response system that's been built into us as humans since the time of Cain and Abel. Are you guys familiar with the story of Cain and Abel? There's a response system that's built inside of us ever since then. Genesis chapter 4 tells us that when God confronts Cain with the case of his missing brother Abel, who, if you know the story, Cain had murdered, he left Abel for dead, God confronts him and he says, Cain, where is Abel? And Abel's response is really telling, am I my brother's keeper? In Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 29, an expert of the law equally comes to Jesus and he says, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' response is clear and simple. Not easy, but simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And the lawyer, being what a lawyer is, he sidesteps the question and he says, Ah, but Jesus, who's my neighbor? Right? Same story, two different men, two different occasions. And both men pose the exact same question. What do I have to do with other people's issues? What is it, God, that you actually require of me when it comes to the pain and the suffering and the hurt of people out there? Aren't you just about me knowing you better, just me and you, Jesus? And he says, no. No, that's not what I'm about. Jesus' answers to those questions are really plain. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes. Who is my neighbor? Even your enemy who is suffering and in need is your neighbor. Parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus turns our questions and our little sidesteps on their head because to declare love for God without a love for those in need around us is empty and it's not faith. To say, God, I love you, but then to turn my eye away from those who are hurting is empty faith. And it has nothing to do with the way of Jesus. Jesus doesn't sidestep tangible action. He doesn't invite us to just privatize our spirituality to these prayer times and to Sunday services. This is great, but this is not it. Are you with me? Jesus is actually teaching us and forming us so that we don't just ignore the needs of the outside world because our inside culture feels nice and safe. Jesus is calling us to expand the borders of that. Jesus teaches us that the way to this eternal life actually comes not just by loving God, but by a faith that also sacrificially loves others. 
And so Jesus is here in this moment in Mark chapter 8. And you can imagine, he's been teaching for three days and he looks out at this group of people and his heart is burdened for them because he sees that they have needs that they cannot meet on their own. What does he say? He says, I have compassion for them. He's looking at the faces of each one and they're not just a mass of people. He says, I have compassion for them. They have a need that they can't meet on their own and I want to meet it. And I want to ask you this morning, When was the last time that you were moved with compassion? When was the last time that you saw needs around you, people who were hurting and desperate, and your heart burned with the love and the compassion of God for those people? When was the last time that you felt your gut turn and your mind race at how God wanted to intervene in broken situations? When was the last time that you were overwhelmed with compassion? I think we're kind of standing in a moment and a season where there is so much compassion fatigue. Last year was a year where we all kind of looked at what was in our hands and just said, I don't think I have enough. I'm going to close myself in. I'm going to wrap myself in Netflix and a warm blanket and another bowl of ice cream with some kind of almonds and fudge and coconut. Hallelujah. That is the, I'm, I've got to be careful. Right, Christy? Ice cream fiends right here. We, we kind of closed ourselves in because we are tired of all the need around us. And somehow in the midst of that, when we're all feeling our own need, we're really having a hard time caring about other people's needs. I'm so focused on the need that's in my own hands. And when we're surrounded with needs and demands, it's really easy for us to just grow hard-hearted and closed off to the world around us. But Jesus' spirituality forces us into a space where it's not just... It's not just, do I love God? That was the challenge to the Pharisees, guys. It's not just, are you devoted to the Father? Are you loving your neighbor? Are your eyes turned with compassion toward the needs of the community around you? Because if you love God, then you will love people. That's the insistence. But if we're living life with Jesus, and friends, if you and I are living this passionate walk with Jesus, you cannot escape his compassion for people. Have you ever been in that situation where God just floods you with compassion for someone you don't like? That's an interesting moment. You're like, I I don't like this person, but I feel God's heart for them. What do I do with that? You can't escape it. If you're walking with Jesus, you're going to continue to encounter these moments and opportunities to have compassion for people that normally wouldn't be in my world. Because Jesus is incredibly compassionate. But I also want us to be honest this morning. God's compassion creates tension for us. Doesn't it? This story is one of the funniest tension stories. If you could back up and just put yourself in it. Like Jesus is setting them up the whole way to teach them about his compassion. Now, I want you to go there with me in your minds. I imagine that Jesus has been teaching for three days, and he's just kind of sitting back in this moment, one leg crossed over another, and he's just talking. He's taking a little break. And I imagine that he's looking out, and he sees the needs before him, and he's looking at each one, and he says, I have compassion, and then simply turns quietly and looks at him, just looks at his disciples. Do you guys know the look I'm talking about? Husbands, you all know the look that I'm talking about. Um, I realized years ago that Chrissy had me trained. I don't know if you guys have had this moment. Um, It was probably 10 years ago. I think Chrissy said something like, man, I'm so thirsty. And then I found myself getting up from where I was, walking to the kitchen and filling up a glass of water. Three quarters of the way back, I thought to myself, what am I doing? What's happened? 
I, nobody requested that I get water. Nothing happened to force me into this. Mo- oh, gosh, she trained me. <laughs> and it happens all the time. I could really go for another enchilada. It's really hot in here. That means turn the fan on, right? And so I've been trained. I think in this moment, they had the same kind of interaction. Jesus looks at them and simply says, I have compassion for them. And just stares at them. You can feel it. You, and, and you want to, like, I think Peter's over there going like, I got to say something. Where are we going to get all the bread? <laughs> He's setting you up. Jesus' compassion creates tension in us. Something happens today when we exit the doors of the space and you enter back into a world that is dominated by demonic principalities, dominated by the kingdoms of the world. And what happens? Jesus' compassion is going to put you in moments of tension. I really have compassion for these people, these knuckleheads, these people who continue to fall into the same patterns. And He's going to have compassion, and it's going to create this tension for us. And what kind of tension? I think it's important for us to realize that when we encounter Jesus' compassion, we have to ask, do I have compassion for these people? We have the Jonah moment, you know? Where God wants to have a redemptive mercy on a group of people who are against him and sinful. And God loves them. And what does Jonah say? Don't be merciful. Kill them. You ever had that moment? God, do not save that person. I want them dead. Smush that one. Save the ones I like. Scorch him. We don't pray those prayers out loud. We think them. Right? And I think we all, if we're honest, we have these moments where we're like, maybe save them, but save them in like 10 years after they go through some really hard crap. You know what I mean? Really make them work for it. Do we have the same kind of compassion that Jesus has? You know, in Mark 6, we actually see the exact same miracle happen. Now, this is really funny because the disciples are acting like this is a brand new situation. And if you're reading the Gospels for the first time or you're a new Christ follower, you might read Mark 6 and then Mark 8 and think like, did Mark, like, have a, a, a moment? Did he have a moment where he just kind of forgot this a blip on the radar and he just recreated the story with different numbers? No. No, they're just that hard-headed. They're just that dumb. Jesus has to do the exact same thing twice for them to get the point. They're struggling with compassion. And, in fact, in Mark chapter 6, Jesus says, I have compassion on these people. And the disciples actually say, send them away. That's where their compassion is. I don't know if that's where you are today, like you're a real great people person. And Jesus says, I love these people. And you go, not me, get rid of them. These people are getting on my dang nerves. Jesus, send them off. They had a compassion problem in Mark 6. But what do we see in Mark 8? It's it's not just compassion, but in Mark 8, it's it's a lack of faith. Look at verse 4 with me. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? Jesus, I'm not resistant to what you want to do based on my lack of compassion. I see that they're hungry. I have a heart to meet their need. My problem is that I don't see what you see. My problem is that when faced with your compassion, I quickly move into what I lack in order to fulfill the need. Anybody else? Lord, I see the need. I see what you want to do in Columbus and in Phoenix City. I see how you want to encourage and you want to break down walls. I see what you want to do in justice systems. And I see it, but I I don't have what I need to fix this thing. 
You can almost hear them saying, your compassion is putting us in a very awkward position. We don't have what we need to fix this. And friends, that is really the point. You do not. No, you don't. You don't have it, and that's just it, because the kingdom of God doesn't rely on simply your material resources and what's in your pocket. It relies on faith. Jesus is coaching and training his guys to live and to look in a way that relies on faith and trusting him instead of just trusting only what I have. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't use what we have, and we'll get to that. It simply means that in order for us to live not in the, the kingdoms of this world, but in the kingdom of our God, we live rooted in what we cannot see but know to be true. That Jesus will provide everything that is needed when he calls us to something. That when Jesus has compassion, we will never lack resource because the love of God makes available the resources of heaven, even into moments and places and dispositions that we feel like we only have lack. God will provide. And this is a good word for us because for some of us, you are being called into a space and you say, I don't have what I need. And Jesus says, exactly. This was never about you to begin with. Did you get saved because you had what you need? No. It is by grace, through faith, alone, in Christ alone. It's not by your works so that you have no reason to boast. It's only him. And in the same measure, the work that he wants to do through us. I don't know what happens, Marielle, but we, when God calls us to himself freely, we suddenly think that we need to have everything that we need in order to serve him. No, it's also faith. Some of you are like, I don't have what I need to do what he's asked me to. We know that's everybody. And yet, when you're walking with Jesus, you have the unlimited resource of heaven. Are you with me? Are you with me? Okay. I know I'm, I'm talking loud. Maybe a little too intense right now. You're like, it's Sunday morning. Tone it down. Yeah, Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, one of the cool things is, uh, and one of the reasons we studied the Bible is that this was written for and by Jews, two Jewish communities, and we are 21st century Western Gentiles, okay? Not Jews. Everything that's not a Jew is a Gentile. And so reading this, we're reading stuff that is coded. I mean, it is written to a group of people um, in their language, okay? So if, if you're a Jew and you are hearing Mark chapter 8, you're reading it. You are hearing something that we miss out with our ears and our eyes um, that this is actually a retelling of the story of Moses in the wilderness with the children of Israel. So they're, they're hearing Jesus is out here wanting to feed people who are hungry, and what they hear is not just that he's Jesus. They're hearing, oh, this is a Jesus who actually comes and feeds more than just our mouths. He feeds our souls. This is God actually accomplishing everything he meant through the nation of Israel, but doing it through the person of Jesus. And they, and they know that. You don't have to tell them. They hear the same exact story. Now, let me give you a little proof. The Greek word for the words remote place in verse 4, if you have that in your Bible, or desolate place, it may say, um, that is the exact same word for wilderness, aremos. It's as though you were hearing them say, where in the wilderness can we find enough bread to feed these people? It's exactly what you hear in the book of Exodus when the people cry out and say, did you drag us out here to starve to death, Moses? We were better in Egypt. 
And he's retelling the story. Jesus is telling to a group of 4,000, I am the bread of life that was prophesied long ago. What the psalmist wrote, that he gave you bread for your mouths to eat, but man of the bread of life from heaven, I am he. Not just in a tangible moment, but also he is indicating to them, everything you long for is here. And they know it. And they hear it and they sense it. Mark chapter 8, verse 5, let's continue to read, listen to what he asks. And I just think we should ask the question, how patient is Jesus? Again, he's already done this with his people. We, we, we just did this. That's what I feel like Jesus is probably thinking in his head. How many loaves do you guys have, Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. Notice, Jesus could have actually commanded bread to come from heaven, but he doesn't. Think about it. He's indicating a story that they all know that just like Moses in the wilderness and God calls manna from heaven, Jesus can equally say, be fed in my name. You know what I mean? Like bread from heaven. But he doesn't. Because Jesus actually invites you and I to participate. One of the truly powerful things about walking with Jesus is that it's not always simply about his intervention. He actually asks you, David, what do you have to add to this? I want to do something, but I actually want to begin with what is in your hand. I want to begin with what I've already given to you, what I've already invested in you. Because if Jesus just calls down bread from heaven, then when we face circumstances of crisis and need, we simply say, Jesus, will you meet that need? And then we go on our merry way and never live in faith. Are you with me? It's easier for us, and for those of us, if you've grown up in the church, it is easier for us to simply sidestep and say, God, will you please meet that need? And Jesus is saying, I will, and I will use you. (laughs) Author and writer Reese Howell, uh, he wrote this book called Intercessor. If you're an intercessor, you need to read that book by Reese Howell. He, He says in that book, I endeavored to never pray for God to do anything that I could do myself. How often do we pray prayers that we can actually accomplish? How often do we pray that needs would be met, that we have the money in our pocket to accomplish? But no, 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 I want Jesus to do it because miracles and stuff. And he's like, no, 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 you're the body of Christ. Welcome to the game. He's a participatory God. And if you don't think it's hard to say participatory, you are wrong. Okay, it is. Jesus, if Jesus simply brings bread from heaven, then what we believe is, God, I don't have any part. It's not that I've earned my salvation. It's not that I have anything that's going to solve the need. It's that God loves to use the little that I do have and to leave me in a place of weakness and reliance so that I can stand and live in his strength. Jesus wants to teach us faith. Now, here's another kind of Jewish code thing. Uh, The number seven is in both stories, okay? If you go back to Mark chapter 6 and then here in Mark 8, it's the exact same thing. um, The first time he says, how many loaves do you have? He says, five loaves, two fish, right? Now, I don't know if we have any math majors in here. Five and two is seven, unless you're doing the new math that the kids are doing, and then I don't know what it is. Uh, Five and two is seven, but in this story, he just says, we have seven loaves. How many fish? We don't know. Why? Because the point is seven. The point is seven. Now, look, if you're like a prophetic, if you're a prophetic lens person, then we just love numbers. And sometimes we just say that just means perfection and completion. Um, But for Jews, 
it's attached to a story, not just a word, right? And so when they hear seven, I've got seven loaves, what they're actually hearing is creation. That for six days, God worked and he created, and then on the seventh, he rested. And so when, when they say we've got seven loaves, what Jesus is trying to get through to the Jewish people in front of them is, oh, this is about using what I have and then relying on God for what I don't have. That's what seven is. Seven is not it's complete. Seven is active reliance. It's I will do for six days what I can, and then I rely on God for one day and trust that he will produce more than enough. This goes back to the time in the wilderness. He said, for, for six days, I want you to collect manna, and then on the sixth day, I want you to collect twice as much so that on the seventh, you do nothing. And the principle for us is that you can actually, actually tithing is attached to this, Sabbath is attached to this. It's the idea that I can do more with six and Jesus than seven and no Jesus. I can do more with 90% and Jesus than 100% without Jesus. Because what God produces in our active reliance far outweighs and surpasses what I can do without him. So he's actually inviting us into active reliance, right? Uh, there are seven loaves. The people are hearing it. This is active reliance. I, I give what I have and I trust the Lord for the rest. And you're saying, Grant, what does that have to do with me? How many of you know a situation in your world or life or workplace right now that has so much need? People who are so needy and there are situations of poverty in our city or fatherlessness or education system needing to be overturned or people just struggling with hopelessness and you look at it and say, I don't have enough to put a dent in this. And what does Jesus say? You're in the perfect position for me to do a miracle. Because you give what you can and you trust me for what you can't. He's teaching us to participate, right? Verse 6. So he tells the crowd, sit down on the ground. And when he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. And they did so. And they had a few small fish as well. And he gave thanks for them also. And he told the disciples to distribute them. I love this about the Bible. It is very unclear what happens right here. When Jesus prays that he breaks the bread and the fish, he gives thanks for them. Does it multiply in his hand or in the disciples? Close your eyes. Think about it. Just picture it with me. Jesus breaks the bread and he gives thanks. And you can imagine if you are there, you're a disciple, you're standing in front of Jesus. And he says, open your hands. And he puts in your hand a piece of bread. A piece of fish. And he says, now, there are 600 people over there. Go feed them. You feel the tension? <laughs> Hold up, Jesus. <laughs> 600 people, you gave me a piece of bread. <laughs> you gave me a single piece of bread. <laughs> what are we going to do with this? That's what they're thinking. I, hey, I want you to impact the hospital that you're working in, Christy. Hold up, Jesus. You just gave me a single piece of bread, a, a mustard seed. I want you to impact a teen challenge and addicts for the future. Oh, but you've only given me a piece. And so there we are, piece of bread in hand. And he sends us over. And you can almost imagine Jesus just quietly nodding, giving him a wink. Go. <laughs> you with your little piece of bread thinking, hundreds, Jesus, hundreds. You didn't give me what I need. And going over, <laughs> and some of you are in this position. 
He has, he has called you to lead nations. And you just feel so small. Right? He's, he's actually called you to inherit cities and to actually lead and love people and lay your life down. And you just have a peace. You stand before this group of 600, 700, and you have to do what Jesus does. What happens? You don't just hand the one guy the, the entire chunk of bread, do you? <laughs> Here, multiply this, you know. No, you break it. There you are. Think about it. You hand it to him. And then somehow when you look back at your portion, it hasn't changed at all. Wait, I, I thought it divided. No, no, no. There's enough. You break it again. Hand it. Same portion. It's enough. Break it again. It's enough. For some of you, if you're relying on your own strength, you, you break it once and you're done. Two people nailed it. And these guys are relying on faith where Jesus continues to multiply because we're not operating out of just my material possession, but out of a life that is built in the kingdom of God and faith. Are you with me? The problem is, for many of us, we look at our little piece of bread and we say, this isn't enough, I'm going home. Or we eat it ourselves. Thank you for the bread, Lord. Now send them away. <laughs> We've all had seasons like that, right? Suckers, <laughs> just gobbling up the bread. And somehow, somehow, if I put my, my faith and my reliance on Jesus, that the little bit that he has given me, when I break it and allow it to be used to love and to meet the needs of others, he will continue to multiply it. Can you imagine the look on their faces the first time that the portion didn't change? Some of you have had this experience. You gave to people generously and radically, and somehow God added it back more than you had. You think, how, do, how does this work? Sometimes we give of ourselves, our energies, our affections, our passion, and somehow God fills us up with more. More. So God is reawakening our compassion. He's reawakening this seven principle, this Sabbath principle, that if I entrust the little that I do have, that God will actually meet the need that I don't have. And that is the first step of being a part of the kingdom. When you're with Jesus, you're operating out of his resource and abundance, not your own. But you have to be faithful to use what he has given to you. Because if you don't, nothing multiplies. Are you with me? All right, I have no idea where I'm at. Um, <laughs> this is really, this is terrible. Okay. Um, here's what's important for us. It is overwhelming sometimes to look at the need and to see the small bit that's in our hand and think, there's nothing I can do with this. You know, so it's the parable of the, uh, the servant with the talents. He says, I've got one. I'm going to go bury it because this is embarrassing. I, there's no way this is going to go anywhere. And he says, you, you are a wicked and lazy servant. I always multiply. He actually expects that you will use the thing that he's put into your life. And in this situation, remember, it's not just a talent or resources. This is not just about money and meeting needs. It is about the bread of heaven, the, the impact of Jesus on my life that I will pour it out into other people. You say, I don't have a lot. I've just got a little bit of faith. I'm struggling to make sense of it. Well, use it. Give it. Bless other people with it. And for, for goodness sake, if they're hungry, give them food as well. You with me? Don't just give them food and no gospel. Don't give them just gospel and then ignore the need under your feet. Man, the gospel is good news, especially around a dinner table with bread and ice cream. Yeah. 
Don't be deterred by the little bit that you have. So let me just ask you, what does your hand of bread, your handful of bread look like? What is it that Jesus has just dropped into your hand? The little bit that you just think, oh, I'm not sure that this is much of anything. And Jesus saying, hey, I, I want to use that. Little fish, little bread. I'd like to multiply that and multiply my kingdom through that. What is it? You've got dream in your heart, passion and vision. You've got a business that you're running. You have a family as a resource in God's hand. What is it that God has put into your hand? Because he always multiplies what we're willing to give to him. In verse 8, and I'm going to close here. It says the people ate and they were satisfied. For three days they'd been sitting and hungering. And Jesus showed up and they're satisfied. What would it be like for us as a community, as a church family, as part of the church in Columbus, if we were to live our lives so that others find satisfaction in Jesus? They ate and they were satisfied. And the passage actually says, and afterward the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. They started with seven loaves, they ended with seven basketfuls of loaves. Are you with me? Come on. And you thought you just had a little piece of bread. This is what Jesus is inviting us into. I want to close with this thought. There are two groups in this story that I think all of us identify with. And I actually think that all of us are both groups. The first group is this crowd of people who has just been with Jesus, pursuing Jesus, but they have so many needs. And they are desperately in need of compassion. And for some of you, you find yourself in that crowd. You can find your face there. Um, you, you see that you are in need of compassion. Some of you this morning, you have very specific needs, physical and mental and emotional job needs and home needs and family needs. And Jesus looks at you not with judgment, not to straight arm you or stiff arm you, but he looks at you with compassion. They need bread. What does Jesus give them? Bread. He doesn't just say your sins are forgiven, go and be well. Bread. Some of you are here this morning, amen, you are sucking wind, and you're struggling. And Jesus looks at you, and he's not like, you're, I'm going to just teach you to be better at discipleship today. No, he wants to actually meet you where you're at. And he has compassion on you. And some of you, your testimony is just that. You saw Jesus show up for you in your life where you needed him. He responded. Every single one of us has been there, and every single one of us will be there again, where we desperately are in need of the compassion of Jesus to meet some need in our lives. Listen to what he says in John 6, 48. He says, I am the bread of life. I'm the only one that can satisfy. I'm the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone can eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven, and whoever eats this bread will live forever because this bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. He says, I'm the answer. I'm the answer. And some of you today, the call that I feel from the Lord is simply this, that, that you have this need, and he has compassion. He wants to meet your need. And so we're going to have a time of prayer at the end, and I just want to encourage you. Will you just pray, partner up with some people who can agree with you that the compassion of Jesus will actually give an answer to that need that's in your life. And you can trust him with it. The second group is the disciples. You know, it's one thing to live life always waiting 
for the compassion of Jesus for us, right? Gobbling up the bread in our hand. But I wonder, there are some of you who are in here who you've been on the receiving end of his compassion, and Jesus is actually saying, hey, I actually want to invite you to participate with me. Not just receive, I actually want you to be on the breaking end of things. I, I want you to start viewing your life as a resource in my hand to impact people and communities and generations. How do I do that? You simply trust that everything God has given to you, he has given to you with purpose to bring other people in. Are you with me? Guys, there's so much purpose and passion in this room. When I look around, I see people who are so driven to create and to be with God and to walk with him. Friends, listen to me. It is never for us to just simply consume on our own. It is bread in our hand, and that bread is meant to be broken. And you will not grow hungry, and you will not go hungry, and your family will not miss out if you learn to break and to multiply with Jesus. He's calling you to be a resource. He's calling you to participate. There, there is nothing sweeter. I have received the answer um, to my faith. I, I've received Jesus' compassion more times than I can count. Have you? You know those moments where Jesus shows up and he, he, he fulfills what you needed. That is incredibly overwhelming. But you know what's more overwhelming? It's being in the hands that break it and watch him do it. Man, I cannot tell you. I am in ministry because of that. Because there is nothing like being on the front lines of watching when Jesus multiplies something in your hand. And you know it wasn't you. I had nothing. I had a little piece of bread and fed thousands. There is nothing. For some of you today, you're on the receiving end. God, forgive me again. God, show mercy again. That's great. He, he wants, he's got a bigger vision for your life than you do. What does it look like for you to begin to view your life as a resource in God's hand? Today, he wants to stir you up. Who is he leading you to to have compassion for? Will you just close your eyes for a second? Father, we just turn our hearts and our affections to you right now, Lord. And God, I see myself in both groups. I see myself in need, in desperate need of your compassion, in desperate need of your mercy. Lord, I also feel that invitation, God, that my life my energy and my, the things that I love, all of it is a resource in your hand. You bless it and you break it. You allow the things that are dear to me to become a resource for heaven. Lord, I pray today that you would begin to, uh, to give urgency in our hearts for people who need your hand. They need your miraculous power. And you're inviting us God, to step in and to be the solution to those issues. Lord, forgive us where we have prayed empty prayers for you to do things where we just didn't care. I'm going to ask our prayer team if you guys would go to the back. Um, and if you just have a need, if you've got some, an area where you need God's compassion, you just need him to answer. Some of you, you're carrying some heavy stuff in here. And, uh, we, man, we have endeavored that this would be a place of breakthrough and a place of God's strength. And so go partner with someone in prayer right now. Would you just do that? Uh, Christina, are you in here? Would you come and just lead from guitar for us just for a minute? I'm sorry, I didn't tell you ahead of time. You just need somebody to partner with you in prayer. Would you stand and go right now? Say, hey, I'm struggling.
Go ahead. And for others of you, man, you just feel like the Lord has given you a little peace. A little peace. Some of you are tired of breaking the same thing. And the Lord wants to actually encourage you today and remind you of why you're here. Would you just, in a just illustration, act of surrender, would you just hold your little piece up to God? Just two hands, God, this is what I got. It's my life. It's just my life. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Just open your hands to him. Assume a posture of generosity. When we're willing to let go of those things and let God take them, we're also in a posture of receiving from him. There's some things that you don't have that he wants to give you this morning. Hmm. Some of you in here are bold enough to say and pray this morning, Holy Spirit, whatever you want to give me, I want to receive. Father, whatever you want to give today, we want to receive.